Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. The sacrifices of thanksgiving and we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. Good morning. My name's Leroy Howard. I'm a proud and happy member of Epworth. And I'll be leading you in today's reading. And I invite everybody to open up their hymnal to page 830. We'll be reading responsibly Psalm 107. I will read the regular text, and your job is to respond with bold text. And uh, we also have a sung response, and Jerry and the choir will start us off with that. Give thanks to the Lord who is good, whose steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom the Lord has redeemed from trial, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city in which to dwell. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then in their trouble they cried to the Lord, who delivered them from their distress, and led them by a straight way till they reached the city in which to dwell. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wonderful works to humankind. For the Lord satisfies those who are thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The Lord turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. A land into a salty waste because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. The Lord turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. The Lord lets the hungry dwell there, and they establish a city in which to live. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. They multiply greatly by the blessing of the Lord, 
does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. The Lord raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness stops its mouth. Whoever is wise, heeds these things. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord. With our office administrator, Mary, out this week, we've had volunteers in the office. And uh, Sharon Strawn was preparing the bulletin, and she asked me for a sermon title. And I told her I never title my sermons. It seems too ambitious. And I never know what my sermon will be about until I've finished preaching it. But I think to be determined is a good working title. For some reason last week when I ran over these, read over these lectionary texts, this psalm is the one that got hold of me. It's an unremarkable psalm, remarkable maybe only in that we are reading it together two millennia later. And I shudder to think that in a few millennia some archaeologist will uncover my high school poetry notebook <laughs> and that my teenage angst will be set to familiar tunes. But here we are reading this person's poetry, these songs, aloud in public. And to be honest, when I read the Psalms, I often think, how nice, and then I move on. I get it, majestic, redeeming, praise, enemy, shadow of death, all that. I feel a little unmoved by it. They're not necessarily the words that I relate to. But maybe it was this line, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Where I come from, that's called testifying. Telling what good thing God has done in your life since we were last together. It sounds like evangelism. I know that word grates on some ears like nails on a chalkboard. That the E word. It's like a progressive swear word. <laughs> and I hate to cuss in church, but there it is, evangelism. These psalms require multiple translation. They were translated from the Hebrew to the Latin to the King James Version. And then we must make meaning from that, and that's an act of translation. We translate it into our own words. If we're really going to evangelize, there it is again. This psalm in particular resonates quite literally with what's happening in the world today. People are actually wandering in the desert looking for home, alone and hungry and thirsty not just on our southern border, but in lots of places around the world. And Mark Twain is rumored to have said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. One of the things that makes the psalm still readable is the consistency of the human experience. The rising and falling of tyrants and the terrible things God's children do to one another and the ways we forget our humanity and then find it again. But still, translation is required. 
Most of us will never be lost in a literal desert. Many of us will never be alone and hungry and thirsty. But what's our version of the desert? If not literal, what's our hunger and what's our thirst? Each of us have our own desolate places of hopelessness and want, emotional or spiritual, our internal deserts. And then there's a Christian hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. From the psalm to our own experiences to that very Wesleyan concept of social salvation. Working to bring about the kingdom of heaven as Jesus talked about it, making it a present and future reality. How do we share the good news of God's enduring love with a hurting world? God's love endures forever. Well, so what? What's it mean to a person without a home? What's it mean to a person in ice detention? What does it mean to a hungry child? What does it mean to someone who's lost a family member or a loved one in a mass shooting? There's another translation from words to actions. A lived out good news. In the theory of community organizing, people get involved in causes and movements for justice for two reasons based on their experience or based on their values. I feed people because I was once hungry, or I feed people because it is what I am called to do. A testimony about what is or what was, or a testimony about who we are called to be. But we start by finding our own reasons and our own words. When I was in the third grade, my teacher, Mrs. Haste, made it her personal mission to get me and all of my classmates who were from Appalachian families to stop using the word ain't. Ridding us of ain't seemed to be her calling in life. Day after day and week after week, she was determined to make us talk good or gooder. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. And reflecting on that experience, I remember later in life writing something like a haiku that said, I'll say I am not, but I will mean that I ain't. Yeah. Silent rebellion. <laughs> if we're going to start singing these psalms, then we've got to sing them in our own words. So I've rewritten this psalm in some hillbilly grammar. And Grandma read the King James Version, but I imagine if she told the story of this psalm, it would sound something like this. Ain't God good? <laughs> Love deeper than a hand dug well? God done brought you out of the briar patch, and you ought to tell somebody about it. God has brung them out from all over. Some was lost way back in a holler somewhere with no place to lay their head. Their bellies rumbling and mouths dried up, they like to died. But they cried out to Almighty God, and God took up from them troubles, sat down on a straight way, and found a place to light. We ought to thank God for that all the time love and the works of God's hand for God gives us all a sup of water and vittles for the journey. If you got any sense, you thank on these things and remember just how good God has done you. Salah. If Eugene Peterson can rewrite the whole Bible, I can write a hillbilly psalm. <laughs> how might you rewrite it? What does the psalm sound like in your life? What is the thing that you offer thanksgiving for? 
What is the way that you praise God? Some of those psalms are psalms of lamentation. What words might you use in lamentation? I think this might be a spiritual practice to translate the psalms, rewriting them in the blood and the sweat and tears of our own experiences, and to take that translation and share our hope with somebody else. We sing songs of thanksgiving to a God who sometimes seems silent in our times of suffering. I don't mean to scandalize anybody by that, but even Jesus experienced the silence of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think it's especially important to sing these songs in the moments of silence. Reverend Renita Weems talks about learning to live between the last time you heard from God and the next time you will hear from God. Sure, most of us give God credit after the fact if the thing went well. And then we tend to blame God for not intervening or not suspending the laws of nature when some bad thing happened to somebody that we care about. We live our lives in the spaces between the despair and the hope and the gratitude, usually bouncing back and forth between the first two, despair and hope, and occasionally getting bumped ahead into that gratitude, for a little while anyway. I remember Grandma Flo saying, you better praise God while you feel like it, because a moment's going to come when you don't feel like it. And I believe that she lived in that in-between time that Reverend Weems talks about. Grandma knew how to testify, and she never missed a moment, never missed a chance to say what good thing God had done for her. Even in the midst of trouble, to remember the things that God has brought us through is a powerful reflection. Now, Grandma was a terrible singer. I mean it, she was really bad at it. <laughs> she couldn't carry a tune in the bucket. She practically hollered the hymns. But at every revival meeting, every song fest, people practically begged her to sing. And I think they did that because when she sang, she meant it. And it made it believable. She used her own words. She had that conviction that shored up other people's faith. She was determined to tell the good news of God's love, even in the moments of silence, even in the midst of evidence to the contrary, with loved ones and with strangers. Maybe Sharon's title makes sense after all. What does it take to find our determination? To be determined to share the good news in every way, in every place, with everybody. To become that even reluctant but willing evangelist to those in the desert and those who have left them there, to those in prisons and to their jailers, to the oppressed and to their tyrants. Ain't God good? Love deeper than a hand dug well? God done brought you out of the briar patch and you ought to tell somebody about it. Amen.